Hi everybody, this is Lori Weaver. Welcome to Compulsive Overeating Diary, day 59. It's now been 21 weeks exactly. That's right, if my show was in years, we'd be old enough to drink. 21 weeks exactly, and 59 episodes after today's done, that's quite an achievement. Yay! Thanks so much for hanging in there with me all this time. You know, I was thinking I should tell you that every single episode, right before I press the record button, I always have this little feeling of fear and trepidation. And I think, what if I can't think of a thing to say? Or what if I stutter? Or what if, what if, what if? Everything in my life has been ruled in the past by these what ifs. And I tell you, taking that deep breath pushing the record button because honestly brave companions i very rarely re-record my opening has taught me that what if is not anything so what so what if i stutter so what if i can't think of anything what's the worst that can happen as i turn off the recorder listen to josh and think of something new right so today i want to tell you a couple of things that i'm thinking about Besides welcoming a new Brave Companion and telling why Stephanie from Quebec and Sue are on the Bravery Report and I'm not, I want to talk about scale fear, what it's like to bicycle with a well-fed body for the first time, and something that's really on my mind with intuitive eating, that is what does portion size do when you're trying to figure out if you're actually full and satisfied. So. Brave companions, we're going to listen to Josh. I'm going to think more about what to let go, and we'll be right back. But I'm letting go, I'm letting go. It's a history that never really grows. I'm letting go. Josh, today what I need to let go of is the idea that if I put it on my plate at home, I will eat it all up. Yes, brave companions, after all these years of binging or dieting, I have been prone to just eat everything that I serve myself. You know, you've all heard the tricks. We eat on a smaller plate. We weigh and measure our food. Like if I put a half cup of pasta and a half cup of sauce on the plate, especially when I was calorie counting, I had already weighed and measured it and counted those calories. So what if I got full or satisfied halfway through? Not that that seems possible, but if I did, I, I wouldn't stop eating it because I've already served myself. And I've been thinking about this quite a bit and how is portion size impacting my ability to tell if I'm hungry and more so when exactly am I full or satisfied time for me to stop eating. But more on that later when we get to the topics. First, some shout outs. You know, podcasters like me, we get all hung up in the numbers like, you know, where are we on the list? How many listeners are listening? You know, how many reviews do we have? What's this number? It's kind of our cachet with each other you know oh, I got this many listeners you got that many listeners but you know what 
every single time there's a download is a person, a real person who's taking the time to listen to me on an app on their phone or find me on iTunes or subscribe. And that takes commitment and your time. And I talked about last time that time is the coin of life. So whether I have 1,000 listeners or I have 10 listeners, I want you to know that I do appreciate each and every one of you. I know what those numbers mean underneath. I know that each number represents a person. And many of you are dealing with things like I'm dealing with, or you wouldn't be listening to Compulsive Overeating Diary. I mean, my goodness, I like to think of a pretty good storyteller, but who cares? If you have nothing to do with eating issues, why in heck would you be listening to Compulsive Overeating Diary? You might as well go back and listen to Daily Adventure Tales over and over again, right? (laughs) So you guys out there, you brave companions, are either people who are dealing with an eating issue, your own self, Or possibly, maybe you're like my therapist, listening to get more insight as a case study about what is overeating like from the inside if they're not people that happen to have that issue. Or maybe you're a loved one who just wanted to know a little bit more about compulsive overeating. In any case, every one of you are brave and thoughtful and there's more of you out there than I ever suspected. So I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. And to that end, like, I go every once in a while to look at Stitcher. That's one place that you can get Compulsive Overeating Diary. And for years, or not years, weeks, you know, it's like says I'm on five playlists or six playlists. And I'm like, well, that's nice. You know, five or six of you are, are liking to listen to me regularly. That's what you do on Stitcher. You put someone on your playlist. And then today I went to Stitcher and I saw I was up to number 10. So 10 of you have taken the time to add me to your playlist on Stitcher. So 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 Stitcher Brave Companions. Today is your shout out, shout out for you. I also want to thank whoever the lovely Brave Companion is who actually purchased a book through my link on Amazon. So I can no longer say I never made a dime from Compulsive Overeating Diary. I actually made three, a little more than three dimes. (laughs) You know what? Just the very idea that you would go through that link and you would purchase that book. I'm most excited that you got the book, however you get that book. I think it's really worthwhile. Whether or not intuitive eating strikes your fancy or is something you want to pursue at this time, I really like that book and think it has a lot of ideas that are worth us as people who deal with eating issues to consider. But thank you, mystery customer number one. You're the equivalent of in America when you start your own business and you get a customer pays you some money, you take that first dollar bill and you put it in a frame on the wall. So mystery shopper, I'm putting this first little few cents commission from Amazon on my wall. I'm gonna print it out and remind myself that money isn't everything and that people really do care. also want to give a shout out to our newest brave companion Lucy and Lucy reached out to me by liking my page on Facebook and then by uh, posting on my timeline and basically Lucy's up to day 13 so she likes to listen while she's jogging and she 
likes to listen to my amazing voice. So Lucy, thanks so much for that. Also, she posted because she's interested in reading intuitive eating as well, because we've been talking about this book for quite some time, thanks to Kendra, the librarian. Hi, Kendra. So since Lucy didn't post on CompulsiveOvereatingDiary.com, if you guys could go to today's show notes, day 59, and post a hello to Lucy, that would be awesome. And I'll go back on Facebook and let her know that I said hello to her on day 59. Now, while we're on the topic of Facebook, I just, I just want to say a few things. I go to Facebook almost every day to post kind of what I'm going to do that day. And I also make note of where Compulsive Overeating Diary is falling in the ranks of the U.S. and Canadian iTunes hot list. Now, you guys don't have to read the hot list. I do that for my own self. That's just kind of where I happen to keep that statistic. But I do tell you if I'm going bike riding or if I'm in the F mood or if the robot aliens have been around or if I'm getting ready to record an episode, just all kinds of stuff that I don't necessarily post on my own website or and stuff that's too long to put on Twitter. But, you know, even if you are one of the people who like Compulsive Overeating Diary, the way that Facebook works is it'll show up in your feed maybe because I think like the post from yesterday showed up in maybe 10 people's feeds. So if you're somebody who would like to know what's going on, I also post links to things that I think are funny like the like videos that I find or other good websites to go to, things like that. Just go when you're on Facebook, take a moment to go to facebook.com slash compulsive overeating diary, all one word. Because then you can see the page. You can see Tiger the Cat, who's on the submission, who says subscribe. That's how you get onto our email. You can see all the different stuff I've been up to. And also some conversations with the Facebook Brave Companions. And while I'm thinking of that, Brave Companions, if you are on Facebook, you can see where Lucy posted to me today on Facebook. And you could say hello to her right there. You know, it didn't occur to me. <laughs> but however we say hello to Lucy, hi Lucy, we're so happy that you joined us and I hope you're having a really good jog today. Now on last episode, day 58, I came clean, I came clean with you all about how I'm still hopping on that darn scale every single morning and it's a bad habit that I just can't break. And I've been trying and trying to get the gumption up to put that scale away, either give it away or put it high up on some shelf that I can't get to it easily or hide it under some junk out in the garage anything to keep me from my morning routine of doing all I can, taking off everything that I can take off and hopping on that scale, kind of jiggling it around, hoping and hoping and hoping it's going to show me a better number than what I saw before. And like I said in the last episode, this is really kind of counterproductive for me when you're intuitive eating because if that scale goes up, I'm not supposed to go on a diet. In my past compulsive eating, binge dieting life, if my scale went up and I was bad enough, I might think about cutting down what I was eating or count calories that day or do something to make my weight go down, including maybe do an extra bout of exercise to make that weight go down. And that's how I got into exercise bulimia. Now, the whole premise behind intuitive eating is that my body should know what it wants to weigh given my exercise and my energy needs and my metabolism at the time and whatever. 
and that the way my body communicates to me what it would like to weigh is by how often does it send me a hungry signal and when does it send me a I've had enough signal. Now for somebody who's tuned out their hunger signals their entire life and didn't even know what hungry was outside of outstandingly ravenously hungry, you know that feeling if you've worked out super hard and haven't eaten too much and you're just starving to death, that feeling in my tummy, I knew that one all right, but that usually led to about 5,000 calorie binge if I let myself get that hungry. I've also known that eating when I didn't really feel hungry because it's 12 o'clock and it's noon time and having that kind of uncomfortable overfull feeling. So I think I said in episode one, I counted calories as training wheels because I had no idea of how much I should eat because my body wasn't talking to me and I can't really blame my body either. I've come to realize that my poor body's been in an abusive relationship and I'm the abuser. I'm abusing my poor body. Why should it trust me? I think, I think it really is kind of I, my conscious self, has been abusing my body. The natural body that doesn't know anything about my conscious or subconscious mind, the one that's just trugging along, trying to, you know, take me up the mountain, take me down the mountain, pick up the groceries from the cart, bring them into the house, wash the windows, kiss the cats, hug my husband. I think I got that backward. <laughs> hug the cats, kiss my husband. That body, the one that wants to go bike riding, the one that likes to go dancing, the body that took me to work for my entire career, the body that took me through my childhood, the body that took me through my teenage years, that body that's been walking me around for 55 years. I have been not listening, not letting its needs be heard or met. I've been treating it like a second-class citizen. And no wonder we don't have good communication. If some person treated you like that, would you have good communication with them? No. So a great big part of my dealings with intuitive eating is trying to make peace with my body. To say a sincere sorry that I've been treating you this way and I'm trying to hear what you need. I'm doing my best to hear what you need. And sometimes it's easier than other times. Sometimes, like when I was overly tired, I felt that my body was telling me it wanted higher calorie foods and it wanted more of them and that caused my weight to go up a pound. And that freaked me out. It just freaked me out. I got weighed again this morning. I have to tell you the truth. I got weighed again and I'm hoping like, well, we went bike riding yesterday. Maybe this will take care of that pound. But I have been continuing with intuitive eating and eating when I'm hungry and all that kind of thing. And no, I still weigh 209. Now, as long as I was maintaining between 207 and 208, I was building a lot of confidence. I was building confidence that, well, with intuitive eating, I may not get any thinner, but it was looking like I wasn't going to gain weight. Now, if I'm being very honest with myself, I think this pound that may or may not be a true pound was put on because I had about three days of the same type of overeating that I was doing prior to starting this show, the same kind of overeating that was putting weight on me about a pound a week, and that's why I'm really scared. I don't want to do that again 
because when I got to 225, which is the weight I was when I started this show, I really started to live that life of feeling very uncomfortable in my body, way beyond, you know, society looking at me as a fat chick or a fat lady or whatever you'd say, because they still look at me that way, honestly. They're not going to look at me and go, woohoo, look at that hot mama walking down the track. No, I look like a, a kind of a fairly active, maybe a little bit dumpy kind of middle-aged lady, nothing fancy. So it's not the psychological discomfort that I'm feeling, it's the physical comfort of that weight on my joints and moving around. And my bike clothes don't fit, you know. Hard to go biking if I can't wear my bike shorts. That's another story. So I'm really terrified that maybe my body's set point is 300. Oh my God, could, could I deal with my body's set point if it was super high number? I mean, I don't even want to go back to 210, tell you the truth. That's scary. That's terrifying. And that's why they tell you get rid of the scale. Because what I'd be prone to do is if I get on the scale and I see 209, it would be to go back to a diet. And even thinking about a diet breaks that connection between me and my body that I'm trying to build. If instead I pay attention to how I feel inside, how I feel, I feel over full. I need to do better to pay attention to what my body's telling me. And, and then I pay attention like, wow, today I feel pretty good. I have high energy and I felt satisfied all day. If I attune my eating to these inner feelings, eventually my body and I will build that bridge of trust and communication and my brain will get the experience of hearing my body, hearing it understanding its needs and my body as a biological mechanism will proceed to regulate my weight to whatever weight makes sense to it at the time. And I've also read some research over the years on set point theory for people's bodies and there's some things that tend your body set point to come down a little bit. Now, unfortunately, yo-yo dieting is not one of those things, okay? So I haven't really been doing very well at trying to convince my body that a lower weight might be nicer for it. But because I really enjoy long-distance bike rides and because I really enjoy hiking and would like to go hiking for longer time periods as my strength increases and my endurance increases, my body of its own accord might decide that it would be nice to lower our weight because it doesn't like to carry this extra weight with it when we go on these activities. And that wouldn't be like oh, I'm burning off fat for calories. It would be the body saying, wow, I think this psychological being that I'm carrying around my, in my physical self, my physical self would benefit from being a little bit leaner and lighter. I've seen that when we went to Hawaii for my 50th birthday and we rode around the big island and probably rode 20 miles a day. One day I did 50. I did 50 some miles on my 50th birthday just to be able to say I did 50 miles on my 50th birthday. But mostly our, our trips were about 20 miles, 25, a little bit of hills, which is a moderate bike workout. It isn't killing yourself to do that if you're used to bike riding. That is not a huge amount of working out, but we did it every day, every day for more than a week. And by the end of our trip, 
even though we were drinking cocktails made out of pineapples and we were eating delicious foods, I noticed that I was, without knowing it, intuitively eating on that trip and I dropped weight. I dropped weight and that weight stayed off for probably about a month when I came home and I attribute that possibly, possibly to the fact that when I was bicycling every day like that, my body decided it was time to be a little bit lighter. And so the weight didn't come on as fast as it does when I'm being a couch potato. Now, I'm not a scientist and I'm not, I'm not a doctor. And this is, again, a guess from my experience. Really, it's a guess. Who knows? You know, I'm now five years older. Who knows what my body wants to do? I don't know. But in any case, I'm still scared to give up the scale because I want to see that reassurance. I want to get on it and see that I'm doing good with intuitive eating and I'm not gaining weight. Now, brave companions, how else do you know if you're gaining weight is how you feel and how your pants feel and all of this. So do I really need to be on a scale to know what's going on with it? But the hardest part to process is I'm not really supposed to care. I'm supposed to have given up weight loss as a goal altogether to concentrate on rebuilding the trust with myself and to say goodbye to the robot aliens, to trust food, to love food, to build a life with connection with people, not fear about people, not spending my precious life energy on artificial things like how many calories have I been eating, to try to eat the nutrition that my body would love, and to pay attention to how does my body feel. But it's such a hard road to hoe. So after I posted this, and I came clean about how it is that I just don't feel confident yet in giving up my scale, Stephanie posted on day 58. I weigh myself at least one time a day. Two times is usually more like it. After listening to this podcast, I'm giving myself a 10-day challenge without the scale and see what comes out of that. Any brave companions want to join me? No pressure. I'll be, my, I'll be reporting my progress on July 9th. So brave companions, if you're listening to this today and you want to join Stephanie on the bravery report, give up your scale until July 9th. That's her challenge. And sadly, this is why I'm not on the bravery report. This is what I said. Bravo, Stephanie, you're on the bravery report for sure. I'm afraid I just can't commit yet to no scale at all, but I want to. So my dear, you will be the brave leader and I will be so interested on hearing your thoughts and emotions about how it goes. I hope some other brave companions will be able to join in because I do think this is a very important step. And Sue posted to her, hi Stephanie, I will try and join you in your challenge, good luck. So Stephanie and Sue are both on the bravery report because neither one of them especially like to give up the scale either. They're like me. They're used to getting weighed. But they're willing to say, I'm going to put my scale away until July 9th, and I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to give it a try. And be honest with you, I'm still not there. I'm still not there yet. But you are inspiring me, Stephanie. You are inspiring me, Sue. And I hope you're inspiring others. I hope that I will be able to put the scale away 
And the fact that I can't, I think, is very telling in my psychology of where I'm at, that I have not yet really given up the whole idea of weight loss, even though I'm working towards that. But like Alan Standish says, progress, not perfection. And I always want to be truthful with you. And the truth is, I'm just not there yet. And I hope that I will be. So, Brave Companions, that was a pretty heavy segment, wasn't it? Kind of the downside of, of going into intuitive eating and dealing with compulsive overeating and what it feels like to be scared of putting weight on. Now, I want to change gears and tell you the fantastic part of intuitive eating. I want to report to you what it feels like to be bicycling in my well-fed body. That's right, I'm very well-fed. When I was dieting, I was restricting my calories below what I burn. I mean, that's the definition of weight loss. I've said it myself. In order to lose weight, to have a weight loss, you've got to burn more calories than you eat. And for me, that would be restricting my food. And that means that your body is not getting immediate energy supply for your activity. And I thought that was a good thing because that meant that besides that, you get a little afterburn from when you're doing activities, as well as we talked about my exercise bulimia stuff. I thought that was a good thing. And I thought, oh, the, my body's gonna dip into my fat stores either during the exercise, which isn't really all that likely, but anyway, or afterwards while rebuilding muscle, it's going to you know, make up the deficit by taking on my fat, which it did. Now, it's not 100% fat. When you're dieting, you are losing lean tissue as well. You just are. That's how it goes. But what I'm talking about is how do I feel now when I'm bicycle riding and I'm eating enough food? If I wasn't dieting in the past, I was overeating. And usually what corresponds to, now think of a Brave Companion. You're on a diet. You're usually restricting the number of calories that you eat in some way. You're restricting your portion size or you're restricting your types of foods to something considered quote unquote healthier, whether you are a fan of the paleo diet or you know low carb diet or it used to be popular to be high carb low fat diet or you're on the grapefruit diet, whatever, whatever means you're doing. A diet usually means that you are eating less in some way. You're restricting something whether it's the amount or some type of food. And when you go off of a diet, what happens? You want a whole boatload of food. And usually the whole boatload of food that you want is the type of food that you weren't eating. So that might mean junk food or a lot of carbs. And carbs do retain water in your muscles. So you'll see a little bit of weight gain that way. Who knows? But I would be either dieting i.e. under eating, or I would be going hog ass wild, which means overeating. So if I'm eating a bunch of potato chips and ice cream like I described the other day, and I hop on my bike to do a 15 mile ride, my body isn't hungry, but it's not exactly feeling great about 
what it has to process, what it has to deal with as we're going down the bike path. If my stomach is so overly full that my digestion is still churning, you know, and it's got to take blood supply off to my legs and that hurts my tummy. I mean, it's really awful to bike ride when you are overeating. When you're under eating, it's really hard to bike ride because everything is an effort. Think about the difference of doing your household chores when you're rested and feeling good and you need to get some things done, maybe clear the table and do the dishes or cook a meal and, and how that feels when you're feeling good and rested versus when you're dragging, tired, you've worked all day, how hard it is for you to actually go through these simple motions of like making a meal or clearing a table. That's the difference in bike riding for me when I was underfed. I could do it. I could force myself to do it. In fact, I would will myself just like willpower. I would will myself to go faster, faster, to do better. I would be like my own drill sergeant, forcing myself to exercise. Damn it, this is good for you. Exercise, get going. This is supposed to be fun. You're having a good time. But you know what, brave companions? I really wasn't having that good a time. In the back of my head, even though I do like bicycle riding and I think it's really fun, when I was under eating, it was so hard to keep up. It was so hard to go up the hills that I need to go. I live in a hilly area here. <laughs> And all of our bike races that we've done involve some kind of long hill work. So I have to go up the hill and I'd have to go long and I'd have to ride. I'd have to train in order to do these things. But it always was work. It always felt like boot camp. It always felt horrible. And the only time I really had quote unquote fun was like the times when people would come from out of town and we would rent a beach cruiser and do like a slow bike ride along the beach slow being like eight to 10 miles an hour versus 15 miles an hour. And we would be going slow and looking at stuff. And that would be fun. But both Mark and I would not classify that as exercise because we were just going slow, looking at stuff, hopping off the bike to go do things, getting back on the bike. We weren't doing, you know, the 20 minute intervals. We weren't doing the go as fast as you can, challenge yourself, get your cadence up, get your cardio up, tackle the hill, beat your time. We weren't doing any of those things that usually signify increasing your fitness. And even when my time did get faster because my muscles would get stronger, my cardio would be better, it never was fun until now. The last three bike rides I've done, I have smoked all of my speed records down on the LA bike path, which is pretty flat, just a couple little minor hills there going over the freeway. They built some bridges over. But I could have done that ride, that 15 mile ride, all over again without blinking an eye. I felt so good. I fed myself well in the morning. I continued to eat at rest stops. I took a break and would ride some more and I just kept riding and riding and riding and I noticed that that pain that I used to feel, the gasping feeling, the real difficulty just didn't occur. I looked at my speedometer and I thought, well, Lori, you must be taking easy on yourself. You must be going 10 or 11 miles an hour. 
No, I was going like 15, 16 miles an hour, which isn't, you know, the fastest on a road bike, but that's pretty darn fast for just cruising along, looking at the birds. And to me, the whole ride felt like those beach cruiser rides. I was getting really good cardio, really good exercise. I was doing well as far as my fitness improving, but I felt like I was on a simple slow ride and I was enjoying every single minute. My body didn't hurt, my body didn't ache, I was not gasping, I was flying. Brave companions, in fact, one part I told you about that little bridge they have over the freeway on this bike ride, you go up it and then you go down it and it's like flying. It is so fun. When you go downhill on a bike, you're still working your core because a bike is balance and balance is working your core. So you work, work, work on the uphill and then you get the downhill and you get the wee feeling just like a kid going down a slide or skiing when you go up the chairlift and then you go down the hill on the skis. That's what it's like when you're bike riding and you're doing the downhill part of the uphill part. <laughs> it's really, really fun. But I had no idea that I could actually bike ride, do physical exercise and have it feel as good to my body as it does. The other day, Mark and I decided that we're going to sign up. In fact, we did sign up for a 50 mile bike rides in November. So we said, well, time to hit the hill work. So we went and parked our truck down at the Pasadena Rose Bowl because we like to ride from the Rose Bowl up the hill to Descanso Garden, the botanical garden I record from, because it's pretty much uphill all the way, five miles uphill. Now there's a little bit of downhill, but I'd say 90% is uphill. So we get this all done, and there's this one whopping big hill at the very start of this ride, where you're going from the Rose Bowl itself up to the next kind of thoroughfare that has a bike lane on it, and it's a maybe half a mile hill, but the grade is pretty steep. In fact, I'll put a link to it. I actually did an action camera filming of this bike ride from about a year or so ago, and I put it on my YouTube channel. So I'll put a link to that. So you guys can watch the first part of that video on YouTube, and you will see that first hill, and you will hear how I'm gasping and gasping going up that hill about a year or so ago when Mark and I were training to do the Lake Tahoe ride that we did. And the other day when Mark and I did this, I hardly knew I was going up the darn hill. I mean, it was still challenging, but I thought, can this be true? Usually I, have to, I went up that in the easy gear, but it wasn't hard. It was almost like nothing. And then I rode all the five miles to Descanso, and usually by the time I get to Descanso, where I take a break and use the restroom and have some water and a snack, I felt like I didn't even really need to stop. I could just turn right around and go right back down, because it's all downhill the way to the truck. And I did. And talk about flying. Five miles downhill is fun. It's a beautiful bike ride. It was fun. I didn't feel tired from that bike ride. I felt invigorated. My body was enjoying exercise. I know now what people are talking about when they say they're having fun, exercising. Now, I thought I'd been having fun. Now, I've always liked hiking, 
but bike riding, like I said, I thought it was fun. It was fun on my birthday that time. But I didn't know how much my body, when it had enough food, and not too much food, but just the right amount of food in it to fuel my workout, how actually fantastically good that feels. And it's really helping me because that feeling is so good that it's better than potato chips. So potato chips kind of don't have the same draw for me when I realize that I won't get that great bike feeling if all I do is eat potato chips. But at the same time, I've gotten that bike feeling when I've had a few potato chips alongside my sandwich because I felt like it at lunch. So I'm very encouraged with intuitive eating. I'm hopeful with intuitive eating. I'm also scared about getting fat, fatter. <laughs> I'm scared of that, like I said before. But I wanted you to know how good my body feels, how great it feels. And even today, I was hiking this morning. I got out of bed and I tried to get up here early up to this next to top Zen spot because we're having what we call June gloom in Southern California where it fools you. You look outside and it looks like it's a cool overcast day. But in reality, that marine layer is just making it actually hot, sticky, and humid where California is normally a dry heat. And I tried to get up here before the sun hit and didn't quite make it. I was about a half hour too late. And so if you look at my selfie today on day 59, you'll see for the first time that you could actually see the sweat on my blue hiking shirt because I was just literally covered with sweat because it was so hot and humid as I was hiking up here. But other than that, brave companions, the hike felt great. I wasn't huffing and puffing. I didn't feel out of breath. My muscles felt good. My back didn't hurt, my knee didn't hurt. I felt like, just like my bike ride, that I could have turned around from now, go down to the bottom of the hill, hike all the way up again, nothing to it. It's amazing to feel so good in my body. Amazing to feel so good, and it has nothing to do at all with the number on the scale or the number on the tag of my dress. So brave companions, we've heard kind of the downside of intuitive eating, the upside of intuitive eating, and now I want to talk about some of the specifics of how I'm trying to learn how to eat with intuitive eating, how to know when I'm hungry and know when I'm full. And I noticed that I've really been struggling when I eat at home and doing a lot better when I go out to eat at the restaurant. Now this makes no sense, does it? Because you go to an American restaurant, they serve you portions that could feed like a family of four for just you. Everyone knows it. We get huge portions here in America. You know, that's just the way it is. Even when I'm binging and overeating, I can hardly ever eat a whole restaurant portion to myself. I've always taken food home. And with intuitive eating, we go to the restaurant. I get a huge amount of food as usual. So the only way I know how to stop when I'm listening to my body is I can hear myself say, that's enough. And I stop eating and take the rest home. And usually I can get like three more meals, at least two, out of any restaurant food that I've been having. So I get to have that meal twice. But when I have it at home, 
I don't get that feeling because I dish up what I think is like what I should have of it and I eat that and I can't tell if I'm full or not but I dished it up so I ate it and I realized that that all comes down to the same thing I don't serve myself very big portions of anything ever at home because when I've been dieting or trying to cut weight my trick has always been to serve myself very small portion and then eat and then maybe have seconds and that's what I've always done now if I usually eat my first portion it's usually right for a calorie controlled diet that's how much I would be eating and if I go back for seconds it might be almost that much again whereas if I ate a little bit more in the first place I probably would have saved more calories overall but it's very hard for me to put like yesterday I actually had two hot dogs I've never had two hot dogs in the bun in my life well except if I'm binging then I might have 10 hot dogs in the bun don't believe me yes I have <laughs> but to have two hot dogs on purpose never yesterday Mark cooked up some hot dogs he sent me to the store for some buns I said okay I'll eat this hot dog in the bun that'll be be nice I had some nice cherries with that and a few potato chips not too many just a few to go with the hot dog and I ate my one hot dog my few little chips my cherries and I realized you know I, I'm still hungry so I had a second hot dog but by then I was hungry enough that I ate the second hot dog in the bun and I realized by the time I was done with that that I had passed my desired satisfaction level of six or seven and had moved on to like a seven or eight now as I've shared before seven or eight I still consider a victory for me that still means I stopped before I was all the way stuffed full and and I feel pretty good but I was thinking what if I had asked Mark for two hot dogs in the first place and they were on my plate like if I were at a restaurant and I just kept eating until my body said I had enough I probably would have had enough eating one and a half hot dogs maybe one and two-thirds hot dogs and it might have even been two hot dogs who knows but I my guess is maybe it would have been around one and a half hot dogs so if I would have served myself more I would have had enough food and I would have stopped and put my plate away and gone on to other activities instead I stopped which was good realized I was still hungry so I ate which was good but then I ate more than I needed to because I still was in that I'm feeling kind of hungry mode that kind of gives you that anxious feeling versus that I'm going to have one more bite mode which if I had had one more bite to eat on my plate in the first place I could have had and then stopped I don't know if this all makes any sense at all but what I think I need to do is serve myself bigger portions to start so that I will have enough food on my plate that I will be able to stop eating when I hit satisfied now this is another technique that is pretty scary to me because I've always been a clean plate club gal if it's on my plate I want to finish it at home 
Like I said, not in the restaurant for some reason, maybe because I've always eaten more slowly in the restaurant and enjoyed my eating in a restaurant. I've never ever had a problem eating out at restaurants. I know this is unusual, but it's true. I've never really overeaten at restaurants. I've eaten a lot of food at restaurants, but always with pleasure and always because there was some reason for it. And I've never really overly eaten things like I do at home when I'm cooking. But at home, I have never before on purpose thought, let me fill my plate up with food and see what happens because I felt what happens is I'm going to eat all of this really fast and then I'm going to put on a lot of weight. So I'm, I'm really curious to see while I'm in this intuitive eating frame of mind, will this help me? Will I be able to become satisfied more easily if I have enough food in the first place? We'll see. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Well, I guess the worst that can happen is I could put on a little bit of weight, but with intuitive eating, I'm going to have to learn from that and try something else. Right now, I notice that I'm having a hard time eating enough to be satisfied with one serving, and when I go get another serving of something, I tend to eat too much with that second serving. So I'm going to try something new. So, brave companions, I hope this has been some food for thought. If you're brave and can give up your scale for Stephanie and Sue's challenge, let me know. Maybe you'll help inspire me too. If you have thoughts on hunger, on exercise, or what you're experiencing with intuitive eating, if that's something you're choosing to do, I'd like to hear that too. Go to Day 59 of Compulsive Overeating Diary, post on Facebook, send me an email. Until then, take care, brave companions, because I care. I'm a slave without a master, heading for disaster, kicking up the dust in the middle of the road. I've been waiting on a free ride, ticket to a seaside thicket on the edge of Puget Sound. Oh